0: Welcome into Real Pod Wednesday's Dan Hope, joined as always by Colin Haas-Hill, who had a very short trip to Indiana for the NCAA Tournament. As we said last week, we hoped we would have uh, some upcoming games to look forward to in the NCAA Tournament, but we have just one game to look back on because Ohio State's uh, trip to the NCAA Tournament was very brief as the Buckeyes lost to a 15 seed in Oral Roberts. And so... If we're going to talk about a loss to a 15 seed. I mean, I was going to start FISCON. How did this happen? Yeah, I can't imagine.
1: If you had said last week that we're going to begin our pod instead of talking about the first week of string practice with the 2-15 matchup in the first round, I would have said, "Uh oh, that's not a good sign." No, <laughs> uh, it's not a good sign. It's not a good sign at all because I, you know, I, I, I almost I, I stand by what I said a week ago, which is I can't I, I don't see them losing unless unless they go crazy from three, which I was wrong on both accounts because they didn't go crazy from three and Ohio state lost anyway. And I'm still trying to wrap my head around Dan, because to be quite honest, I can't believe they lost this game. I really can't. And, and like, we can get into all of the, the contextualizing what the season means, what this means for the program going forward, all of that stuff, because it's obviously important and we probably don't need to hammer home exactly what went wrong in this game too long, considering it's been a few days now, but they had so many opportunities to win this game. They had so many, I mean, they had to make, all they had to do was make free throws. All they had to do was they had, you know, Dwayne Washington had a shot at the end of regulation. He had another shot at the end of the the first overtime. Um, there were other role players who, you know, missed threes when I, when, you know, there there, there are certain moments where it seemed like uh, they had opportunities and, and they didn't convert. And then, you know, there are also, um, defensive matchup of, of going against two players who basically score 30 on you a pop and you're 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 unable to slow them down despite the fact that nobody else on the team is doing anything i i still can't believe all of that happened in one game and it led to that loss
0: yeah i mean i think you know there's two different ways you can look at it i mean i think you can look at the fact that oral roberts got to the sweet 16 and be like well ohio state got a tough draw for a 215 game like oral roberts I think you can now say the fact that they've won two games in the NCAA tournament is better than your average 15 seed. I mean, they're only the second you know. 15 seed to ever go to the sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament. But at the same time, when you're of a two seed, you're not supposed to lose a 15. seed. It doesn't matter how good that 15 seed is relative to other 15 seeds. The fact that you're a two seed in the tournament, you are not supposed to lose that game. And, and like you said, you know, it, it really, it wasn't, the formula to an oral Roberts upset that you would have necessarily expected because I mean this is a team that, that shoots a lot of free, and that was absolutely a huge part of oral Roberts game plan and, and why it was able to win the game but it wasn't lights out from free it wasn't it wasn't like oral Roberts shot the ball at some incredible rate it was just that Ohio State made a lot of mistakes and again I mean that that you know typically what's going to happen and if you're a two seed losing to a 15 seed it usually means that you did not execute well and and that was the case for ohio state that you know you know the flaws we had seen in this ohio state team over the course of a season uh you know a, a lot of them you know reared their head once again in this game but it wasn't it wasn't all the same issues necessarily
1: Yeah, no, that was, that's the thing is it was a combination. I think that, I mean, that's the thing that sunk them. Like, yes, the defense was a problem all season and it showed its ugly head in that game. That's true. Like, yes, Dwayne Washington was inconsistent all season and we, and it just so happened that that was the bad Dwayne Washington that we saw at the end of the game. Um, That's true. But also Ohio State's been really good as a three-point shooting team, as a free throw shooting team all season. And for some reason, for whatever reason, they just couldn't get them to go. And, you know, you can talk about not having Kyle Young and you can talk about the short turnaround after playing four Big Ten tournament games. And, like, those are legitimate reasons. Like, to be quite honest, I think if Kyle Young plays, I actually think that they won. Um, and, like, I and I feel pretty strongly about that because, like, to me, to me this was one of those games where it felt like Ohio State did everything possible to lose this game, that they had no business losing. And I think that, that the part that's the part that – I get it. I I get why people are infuriated about this game
0: because they didn't have any business losing this one. Yeah. I think my point is though that I think if you had pulled our listeners or pulled Ohio state fans as a whole, Ohio state fans were not supremely confident going into this game as they should have been for a two seed going into a 15 seed game. So to say that this loss was like completely unexpected and out of nowhere. I don't know if that's quite true. I mean, I mean there were people a couple of weeks ago before my big Turn tournament run saying they fought Ohio State had had won their last game of a season and you know what? That actually came pretty close to happening because Minnesota was only down by 1 point with like 8 seconds to go in their first Big 10 tournament game. So, uh, this team came pretty close to to you know losing out the season and they did have that run there of a Big 10 tournament where they managed to escape you know, three games in a row where they almost lost the game at the end, they were able to escape and, you know, they were able to win. And I think, you know, that gave both of us confidence going into the NCAA tournament. Like, Hey, you know, you're playing in this supposedly super strong conference. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. Uh, They were able to get to the big 10 tournament final force overtime against an Illinois team that was supposed to be one of the best teams in the country. And so you figure, okay, like this is a team that's shown. It can play with anybody. So it should be able to beat most teams that plays in the NCAA tournament. But, you know, the thing about the NCAA tournament is it all it takes is one bad day and, and that's it. And certainly that's what happened for Ohio state on Friday.
1: I think looking at this season as a whole is like one of the all time difficult challenges um, because I just, I, it's, it's hard to contextualize this all. It's, it's really hard because there's a lot that's happened in this season and it's felt like, that there were several seasons, you know, within a single season. I mean, you had, you know, Ohio State deserves credit early on for, um, for the ability to, to run the table in whatever short non-conference season they had. But, you know, they still beat a UCLA team that's, that's good. Uh, they still beat a Notre Dame team that's bad. And they beat a Cleveland State team that, that made the tournament. And they deserve credit for that. At the same time, you know, they had a couple close losses early in conference play weren't great at the time and then they go on a run where they win you know 10 of 11 games and and we are sitting on here talking about like I don't know what this team's ceiling is and I, I you know it was true at the time I think we figured it out eventually uh, but that the funny thing is is like as that was going on the conversation about this team was wow they are really fun to watch like they they're just they have something about them that makes them so fun, and then they turn into the, one of the most infuriating teams to watch there for a little bit, and then they make a run in the Big Ten Tournament, and then it's one game, and they're done in the NCAA Tournament. I just think this season as a whole, it's probably really unsatisfying for Ohio State fans, given the fact that you came close, but you didn't actually win the Big Ten Tournament, and then it's over in the NCAA Tournament in round one. I think it's really hard to contextualize all of this, and, and yeah, I, I just think by the overriding thing is, like, They were a good team this year. I think that's undeniable,
0: but the end, it's just so unsatisfactory. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard in college basketball because of the fact that, you know, you you play a whole season, but the only thing anybody really cares about is the NCAA tournament. So, you know, you could be great during the season. I mean, and I'm not, I'm not going to say that I think Ohio State was great during the season. I think Ohio State had a good season. I'm not going to say, I think Ohio State had a great season, but. You could be, I mean, you could be great during the season. And if you lose, you know, your first game NCAA tournament, like that's all people are going to remember. And like, I think that's the reality. If you're Ohio state is that the thing people are going to remember is that you lost to Oral Roberts in the first round. There were some great moments along the way. I mean, I, I mean, I do think there are things that you can absolutely look at and say, you know, these are an impressive accomplishment. I mean, again, if you don't include Oral Roberts, Ohio state won at least one game against every team it played during the season. That's really hard to do. So I, I think Ohio state, you know, does deserve credit, deserve credit for that. I mean, just the fact that Ohio state got a number two seed tells you what they were able to do during the season, but the reality is you have to deliver in the postseason, And I think that now, if you, if you look at Chris Holtman four years in, that's now the the thing that's going to be attached to him until he proves otherwise. Is I think the perception right now within the fan base is that Chris Holtman can't win in the postseason. Now, I don't necessarily think that's fair because if you look before this year in the previous NCAA tournaments, Ohio State hadn't lost to a team that was seated lower than it in the previous NSA tournament. So I don't look at his previous NSA tournaments and say that he underachieved in those tournaments. That said, I mean, I had said it multiple times on this podcast in the past few weeks, but I thought anything less than a sweet 16 would be a disappointment for this team. And, and I certainly do not change that stance. I mean, especially after watching Laurel Roberts beat Florida. I mean, it's, to be completely honest, I, I, I would have been more confident in Ohio state beating Florida than I was going into the Oral Roberts game just because there was something about that Oral Roberts team, you know, the way they could shoot the ball That it. Like there was just, there was a little part of me that was like something about this game is dangerous and those worst fears proved to be true. But, you know, I, I do think, you know, now as you, you know, as you move forward into next year I think that's going to be the big thing is next year if he can't get that monkey up his back if he can't get Ohio State to the Sweet 16 next year he's not on the hot seat now I know there's I know there's Ohio State fans who want a coaching change it's not going to happen but I do think as you look forward to next year if Ohio State can't get it done in March next year, then it does become more of a real thing.
1: Yeah, I think that, I think that, you know, I was talking about this season's complicated to evaluate. I think Chris Holtman's tenure is, is complicated to evaluate too. I mean, you know, I wrote a little bit about this because I think that, I think it's, I think it's really tough to judge the NCAA tournament stuff right now because, you know, year one, you're essentially playing with Thad's guys um, and, and you get to the, you have a really good regular season. Uh, you get to the NCAA tournament, um you know you win your first round game you'll lose as an underdog to Gonzaga in the second round it's like you know it's not great it's not awful you're not getting upset I guess it's fine it's basically like I don't know there's there's nothing there's nothing that you necessarily accomplished in that postseason but you weren't embarrassed year two basically it was a it was a successful season to even get to the NCAA tournament and then they upset a team in round one that has three had three NBA players on it. And if you remember that Ohio State team, like that Ohio State team was not very good at all. Um, and it was a real accomplishment to, to, to get that victory. Of course, they lost the next round to Houston, uh, as expected. But then it felt like in year three, like this is the first opportunity to really evaluate Chris Holtman coaching his Ohio State team in the tournament. And we just didn't get that opportunity, which put a gigantic microscope on this season. And the fact that they came up short, I think it just it makes. It, I, I think it's I think it's hard to evaluate in totality because this one feels so huge. Like this failure feels so much bigger than any other moment in the NCAA tournament during the Chris Holtman era. Like that's the thing that 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 sort of sucked for him is like you know if one shot had if Dwayne Washington had made one of those shots, maybe it's a different game and maybe we're having a totally different conversation. But because this one game is in the microscope. Um, and they played terribly. They, 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 they were not, they didn't come prepared. And, and, you know, CJ Walker said after the game that, you know, there was a, some of them, he felt like had taken it for granted a little bit. And, and ultimately like, that's a comment that, that can fall back on the head coach if if one of the leaders in in the point in the starting point guard is going to say that. Um, but I think it's, I think it's hard to totally evaluate where, where, you know, what to expect going forward. Like, is this, is this a one-off? Or is this something that you should expect going forward? I think it's. I think that that's just one of those things that's hard to know. And I get that people are really angry um, because other Ohio State head coaches in the past have, have had more success earlier in their careers than Chris Holtman, um, and that's why I think you know you had mentioned it. You know, next year's going to be huge. Next year's going to be huge. I mean, I talked about the magnifying glass on this on this season. It's going to be. It's going to be. It's going to be even. You know, it's going to be double in size next year.
0: Yeah, I mean, look. Bad losses happen in the NCAA tournament. I mean, Virginia became the first ever one seed to lose to UMBC a few years ago, and then they won the NCAA tournament the next year. So I think putting too much into one loss, I mean, you know, I mean, again, you know, I I think some of this, I think too, I think a lot of this, a lot of times I think the basketball, the extremeness of, of what fans might think about Ohio State basketball, I think a lot of times it goes back to the football mentality. Because I mean, Ohio State losing to Oral Roberts in the NSA tournament, I mean that would be like Ohio State football going and losing to Tulsa in the non-conference season next year. So, like that's the kind of loss it is. So, I get it. Like I, I, I definitely get it. Like why Ohio State fans are upset. Chris Holtman's not getting fired. They're not. They're not going to look for a new coach. It's just. It's that's not reality right now. It's it shouldn't be reality, but. I do think it's absolutely fair as you go into next year, year five of Chris Holtman with what, at least in terms of his own guys should be his most talented team yet at Ohio state. Now that's contingent on keeping everybody together in the fold, which we know hasn't necessarily happened in past off seasons and doesn't always happen in college basketball. And, you know, it could be contingent on, you know, bringing another transfer, or, you know, adding a big man to the recruiting class, something like that. But the, the talent that he should have on his roster next year, it should be, in my opinion, the best roster that he will have had at Ohio State. It's a roster that's constructed the way he wanted to construct it. It's all built up with his guys. I think next year, going into year five, it's absolutely fair to say, okay. You know, obviously there was one tournament he just didn't get the chance to, to prove anything. in. so you don't really want to evaluate him about, but, you know, four seasons in free NCAA tournaments in has not gotten to the sweet 16 has not, you know, gotten that this program over the hump, you know, to where it should be to where it was, you know, at the height of, you know, Fad Mata's tenure. Um, it, it's absolutely fair to expect more from this program. And absolutely, you know, you, you can't repeat this next year. And it's so hard because it's like, you know, I think that's the thing. It's like, it's so hard about a basketball season, it's like only a little over a month ago, as we're talking here today, that this team was 18 and four, I believe it was. And we were talking about how much this team was overachieving. And we were talking about how if they beat Michigan that upcoming Sunday, that they would be a number one seed and they were going to prove themselves as a national championship contender and things can just change so quickly in college basketball. And in some ways it was like over the last like three weeks, we just saw things change so much with a really bad end of regular season. And then a really encouraging big 10 tournament. And then obviously disaster in the NCAA tournament, but I don't think there's any doubt it ratchets up the pressure going into next year for him and his team to really deliver.
1: I think the biggest criticism that I think is reasonable is is this, Dan, what's Chris Holman's biggest accomplishment yet? It's a really good question. I don't know. It's not, there's not a great answer to that one. And I think that, you know, that could have been a big 10 tournament title. It could have been, you know, um, I don't know, competing for a regular season, big 10 title. Like it felt like that they might have a chance to do this year. I think getting getting some sort of accomplishment is going to be important next year. I don't know what that's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be a regular season title. I don't, I don't know if it'll be a deep run in the NCAA tournament, but like you can't leave year five without something. I mean, I, th- I just think I, it's so simple. It's so simple like to say that. But but I think that that's the thing. It's like, what are you what are you grasping on to if you're an Ohio State basketball fan right now? Like the Michigan State one in year one. Like the Michigan win in the Big Ten tournament this year, I, I don't know. Like there have been some exciting wins, like the Iowa win this year was a was a, a it was a fun win for Ohio State. Yet that's just some random regular season win. That's not that's not winning you a Big Ten title or something. I, I, that's that's the thing that I've come back to. I say you know that's that's the most reasonable criticism I think that there
0: is right now. So when you look ahead to next year, like what do you think? What, what do you feel about like the direction of the program right now? Like how confident are you that this team can go accomplish something next year? And maybe what are the biggest questions you still have in regards to whether he can make that happen? It's
1: funny. Cause like, I think that the, the one thing I would say is like, I, I go back and forth on, I go back and forth on, on, on one thing in particular. And it's, you know, we, we talked a lot about this season, about how they were overachieving and whatnot Um, because they were picked to finish seventh in the Big Ten ahead of the season. And I think that that is a good thing to say about Chris Holtman as a coach, because I think it means that he's a good coach. And I think that every single year we've seen Chris Holtman maximize the roster he's had. I think that the, the thing that holds you back as a fan and the thing that, you know, you have to dig against him is the expectation in year four, year five, can't be to finish seventh in the conference at Ohio State. It has to be higher than that. So I think that, you know, if you're looking into next season, you're right. Like, I think you've said it earlier. I think they're trending in the right direction. And, like, things are so weird in college basketball. I think as a – like, the round of 32 just ended and there are more than 700 people in the transfer portal. Like, that's nuts. That's crazy. That's, that's insane. So, like, things in college basketball the, this next month or so, like, you just never know what's going to happen. Uh, I would fully expect to transfer to at least from Ohio State. Now I'm not saying expect someone big. Like I wouldn't expect like a Dwayne Washington or an EJ Liddell or someone like that to leave. But you know, player transitions just just the, that's the norm in college basketball. So I think you can expect that. But what Ohio State has coming back with EJ Liddell entering year three uh presumably you know Dwayne Washington will be back entering year four uh you have a guy in Justice Suing who I think was was pretty good uh last year Kyle Young has a, has a decision to make about whether he wants to go try and play some professional ball or come back for a fifth season I mean you have guys like you know Seth Towns who I think if he gets healthy this offseason you know there's there's a lot to like about what South Towns can do if he gets healthy and that's of course the biggest if there is on this Ohio State basketball team and has been the case for a full year at this point, but um, Zed Key was Zed Key was really solid. I, there there are a lot of interesting pieces, but I think Ohio State um, should be really good next year. I can't say I've looked at the whole Big Ten and said that I can, I think they're going to be third. I think they're going to be fourth. I think they're going to be second. I think you're going to win it all. I, I don't, I don't know that offhand, but I know that this is going to be a talented enough roster to, to do something postseason wise, to do something accomplishment wise. And I think it's fair to expect them con, to contend for a Big Ten championship next year in a way that maybe they haven't done over the past two seasons. And and I, that's, that to me is where I separate it a little bit. Like year one, I think, I do think you have to evaluate that a little differently since that was with a lot of Thad Matos guys. Year two was just a total rebuild to me. And I don't really take a ton of stock in that. Year two and year three, or year three and year four, really where I think you can really start evaluating what Chris Holtman is building as a program. In year five, it's like you have to be contending for a Big Ten championship this season, in my mind.
0: So you're telling people that if one or two players transfer, not big players, but just players transfer, that it doesn't mean the program is crumbling and that Chris Holtman has lost his team and there's a massive culture problem in the Schottenstein center.
1: That's what I, that's what I, that's what I'm saying. And I'm not, I wouldn't expect anyone big to transfer, but you just, you know, you never
0: know. That's that's what I'll say. That's what I'll say. Now, if we look at the NCAA tournament as a whole, we are going into the second weekend of the NCAA tournament and there's one big 10 team left in the NCAA tournament. There were nine big 10 teams in the NCAA tournament. That's a conference record. I mean, mean, just look at my bracket. I had three Big Ten teams in my final four, uh, and only one of them is left, that one team being Michigan, the last team that anybody here wants to hear about. But my question is, if nine Big Ten teams made the NCAA tournament and only one of them is left, was this conference really overrated all along? Well, I think –
1: you know, it's the most reasonable question in the world to ask because there were, you know, I know that, I don't know if it ended the regular season this way, but at some point late in the regular season, I know that Ken Palm's numbers had the big 10 as the best conference in the two decades of Ken Palm's existence. And I think that it is fair to look back and say, this probably wasn't the best conference in the past two decades. I don't think anyone's going to deny that. Uh, I think if you look at it though, like, Ohio State certainly could have beat Oral Roberts. Uh, Illinois got a terrible draw in round two with Loyola. Um, even I was drawn round two was really bad for them. Uh, I, there were opportunities, I think, if if the bracket had broke a little bit differently, for us not to have be having this conversation right now. Um, if shots had bounced a little differently, so I don't I don't think that I'm sitting here and saying wow, like they must have been tremendously overrated. If like I would probably take a step back on 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 saying there's no doubt about it the best conference in the country nobody else is having conversation but like I still think that that the thing that made this conference special was its depth and I don't think you can really necessarily take that away from it um for I think I think mainly when we're having this conversation we're looking at Ohio State losing and we're looking at Illinois losing uh before the second weekend of the NCAA tournament
0: in Iowa too Purdue yeah too. and
1: yes yeah but but I you know I would add Iowa to that I I'm I sort of, you know, in, in my mind, I sort of had Michigan up top with, with Illinois in tier one, and I guess in Ohio State, Iowa with with
0: Purdue as the fifth team in that tier. Yeah, I mean those five teams were all top four seeds. So yeah. Top four seeds are expected to make the sweet, so you know. Now granted, if 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 Ohio State and Illinois and Ohio and Iowa, River Sweetstein, yeah, he absolutely would not be having this conversation. We're not, we're not having this conversation because of Purdue. We're certainly not having this conversation because of Wisconsin or Maryland or Rutgers or, or Michigan State. And I think, you know, I think all your points are are, are fair and and valid. Um, you know, I mean, it is it's hard to evaluate everything based on this tournament, but the reality is. This is what matters. This is what people care about. And there's no doubt right now the national perception is that the Big Ten was really overrated this season. And I think that's a fair perception because I, if, if these teams were really as good as they were supposed to be, why are they all losing uh, in the first and second round? And, you know, one of the questions we, we did get, and I think this has been one of the questions that's been out there as result well of it, Uh, from Tussie. And he asked, you know, there has been a recent forum on big 10 teams being fatigued going into the big dance due to the rigor of the big 10 tournament and resulting as a contributing factor to Ohio state's early exit along with our big 10 teams. What is your take on this? Is this a legit reason or just a lame excuse? I would say I'm probably kind of in the middle on that. Like I'm not going to totally discount the fact that, you know, the big 10 plays a 20 game conference season and, you know, they, they played their tournament later than some other teams and that those things, uh, you know, the gauntlet of all that could wear teams down going into the tournament. I don't, I definitely don't completely discount that, but at the same time, like this, you know, the tournament, it's what the, the season is all leading up to this NCAA tournament and you're supposed to be primed to perform at your best. in in the tournament. And maybe the big 10 should look, maybe the big 10 should look at this. Maybe they should look at, okay, is it a good thing that we're the conference that's finishing our tournament last of every other conference? Is it a good thing that we're playing a 20 game conference schedule that might be wearing our teams down? But I also don't think you can just use that to excuse a really bad tournament for the big 10. I mean, to me, I think, you know, you know, I think it's, there's a little bit of validity to it, but, Ultimately, I look at it and just say, I just don't think these teams showed up and, and played uh, their, their best basketball in the NCAA tournament, you know I mean I think I, you know, I think like Illinois got a tough draw. Like I think Loyola was a really tough second round draw. Still, it's a game Illinois should win. Their, their number one seed. you know, Iowa, I mean watching them against Oregon, I mean they just didn't look very good. I <laughs> think quite quite frankly, you know, same thing with with Purdue. Uh, so, you know, to me, I mean, these teams just didn't show up in, in the NCAA tournament. And the reality is fair or not, if, if you don't show up in the one part of a season that really matters, that is going to ultimately be the perception of your conference coming out of the season. I wouldn't say it's a
1: all the way. I wouldn't go all the way and say it's a lame excuse because I think that, you know, as, as more research has been done into rest. Uh, Like, I I think that that's a legitimate concern. Um, And I think that if you're specifically looking at Ohio State and Illinois, like, you know, it's, it's, you can come to that conclusion because neither Loyola, um, both Loyola and or Roberts had an extra week of rest. And both of those teams played several games um, back to back to back. So I, I I wouldn't totally discount it, but I'm not sure you can bring that take anywhere outside of big 10 country and not be laughed in the face at.
0: Right. It's kind of like with football when the SEC says that. And then like, yeah, yeah I mean, nobody, nobody in Columbus uh, is taking that take seriously. Yeah. So. And like, that's, I, I'm not discounting it because I think that there's some validity there,
1: but if you're just going to make that excuse and say, this is the reason you're going to get laughed at. And I think that you probably even get laughed at in big 10 country. I think it would be reasonable to get laughed at in that. I, you know, it's, it's a factor, but uh, it's, it's, you can still win even if you play several games in a row after you know five or six days late laid off
0: another basketball question we were asked by Min Buck. he asked imagine buckeye fans have the ability to trade a football win for men's basketball wins how many men's basketball wins does it take for the average fan to cash in a football win to compare apples to apples assume all games at issue in both sports are regular season conference games not again it's michigan well I, first of all I just want to throw I want to throw that out to our listeners like if you if you all have takes on this go to the post on 11warriors.com and tell us what you think because I'm fascinated to hear what your takes are because my guess is for most people it would have to be an awful lot of men's basketball wins to trade in even one football win. I mean I'm thinking it's got to be win the national championship in men's basketball to trade even any regular season football win because uh, I think the average Ohio state fan cares a lot more about football than men's basketball. And then you factor in the fact that one loss in football can completely derail a season. I think unless you're talking to an Ohio state fan who truly is a basketball first Ohio state fan, I think the majority of Ohio state fans, you know, for me, I think for the average Ohio State fan, basketball is something they care about between January and March. Football is something they care about 12 months a year. So I think for most Ohio State fans, the idea of trading a a football win for anything in any other sport just isn't going to happen.
1: Yeah, there's no, there's nothing to me that makes me think I can have a uniform answer on this because there are a lot of people who aren't even going to click on this podcast, because we're talking about Ohio State basketball, which like, Hey, I understand it. I understand it. Um, But there are a lot of people also who are big Ohio State basketball, big Ohio State football fans. The thing is you don't have a lot of people that are bigger Ohio State basketball fans than bigger Ohio State football fans. I know they exist. They are just not large in numbers. So I think that the real question is would you accept a loss in a football game that knocks you out of college football playoff contention in order to run the table in the regular season of basketball? I think that's literally the only question because I don't think, I don't, I, I, I it's hard, to, it's hard for me to compare um, how people think about football wins in the regular season and what that means for postseason birth, specifically college football playoff birth, and compare those to regular season wins in basketball, which ultimately the only thing that matters with those are what your seating is going to be in the NCAA tournament and whether you earn
0: a Big Ten regular season title. Well, if we're talking about people care more about football than basketball, then I think that's a good segue to get into a little bit of spring football talk here on Real Pod Wednesdays because we are one week into spring football, and realistically, we would typically have a little bit more to talk about after the first week of spring practice here on Real Pod Wednesdays than we do this year because, unfortunately, with COVID protocols, we haven't been able to watch a practice yet. We're hoping that if Ohio state, you know, gets in the stadium that hopefully they'll invite us to watch a practice at some point. And then we'll be able to really, you know, get to see, see it with our own eyes and, and analyze that. But right now we're really just going off of what we're hearing in interviews. We have had uh, as of this podcast, there's been four interview sessions uh, so far in spring football. Ryan Day's done a couple Uh, Kerry Combs, Kevin Wilson, Fayer Munford, Zach Harrison did press conferences on Friday. And then on Tuesday, uh, Tony Alford and the running backs had a media availability. So I'll just throw it to you first, Colin, is there anything from this first week of media availabilities that's really jumped out to you or really made you think differently about something than you were before?
1: Can I be completely honest, Dan? Yeah. I would really wish that we were actually at practice because I feel like these interviews are just so much less useful than they usually are because we can't actually see what's happening on the field
0: yeah it's hard it's, it's definitely hard uh because we're still kind of in the stage of just having to speculate about ryan day doesn't want to tell us anything no. <laughs> that's and, that's and what it comes down to too. no and, and he doesn't have any reason to i mean he doesn't yeah. have any incentive really to tell us w- what's going on because you know as soon as people know the depth chart then people who aren't near the top of a depth chart are going to be unhappy and you know, you know, and he certainly doesn't want to give anything away, you know, strategic for what they're going to do during the season. So, you know, there really isn't uh, any, you know, incentive for him to get into a lot of detail about things. So it just, it it, it means we're, we're still kind of stuck in this, you know, speculative stage. And again, hopefully at some point here in the next few weeks, that will change and we'll actually get to watch uh, some spring football practice and then we'll at least think we have a better idea. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean we will, but we'll at least think we do uh, if we get to watch some practice. But, you know, unfortunately right now, we're just kind of, we're, we're still, you know, kind of guessing and you kind of have to read between the lines of what you hear and, and try to take away whatever you can. So with you having said
1: that, I think that you know, there are several things that come to mind about that are that are semi-interesting. There's no one thing that I was I heard and I was like, wow, blown away by that. I don't think I could say that about a single thing that has been Same. said in the weeks in the in the week of interviews. But um, you know, I, you know, one of those interesting things is like it's it's one of the things that we continue to talk about, and I think that um, it's at least important to hear that they're having these conversations too, and that's the defensive backfield and how in the world they're going to get the right guys on the field and, you know, what kind of, how many safeties they're going to have, what kind of safeties are they going to have? How many times are they going to play um, with just two linebackers out there? Who are the, who are going to be the guys uh, like the, the bullet type guys near the line of scrimmage? You know, Craig Young was thrown out there as, as a name that that's one of those guys. I think that the, you know, the, the overriding thing that, that, you know, I feel like we've learned is, you know, they're, they're trying some things and, you know, this is, this is maybe something that they didn't get a chance to do last year. And because of all the guys they have um, in that defensive backfield and, and, you know, among the linebackers who obviously none of them have, have have started for Ohio state before, there's just a lot of options and it feels like they're sort of just testing out right now Um, and, and seeing what will, what will work best come the fall. And, be quite honest, like we had these conversations about that's what they should do.
0: So it's actually good to, to hear that that is what they are doing. Yeah, we don't know exactly what they're doing, but we do know that they are True. trying <laughs> something, you know, and, and we do know that, you know, this is an important time. I mean, it's a time that they didn't have last year uh to, to kind of work through some of these things. So I think this is, you know, an important time for them to work through these things. And you know, to kind of see what, you know, some of the young players can do. And if some of those guys uh, can, can, you know, be a, be more of a factor because I think, because I think there was some degree last year. And I think the secondary is probably one of those spots where it was, I shouldn't even say one of those. I think it was the spot where it affected them the most, where I think there was some degree last year of Ohio state relying on older guys and guys who had had some playing experience in previous seasons because, they didn't have those practices uh, as many practices in the off season to kind of evaluate younger guys. And then, you know, I think you see a younger guy like a Leif and ransom come along later in the season. And maybe if they had had a normal, more normal off season, a more normal year, you know, maybe, maybe he's getting on the field sooner. Maybe they're not relying as much on, you know, some of those veterans who, who didn't play uh, great last year. And, again, now those guys can get better too. So I'm not necessarily saying those guys won't be in the lineup this year, but, you know, I think it is an important opportunity, especially at a spot like the secondary for them to really see what everyone can do back there. Not, not just the guys who were in the lineup last year, but to see what those younger guys backups can do too, and see if some of them can maybe be better than the guys in the lineup and maybe they will be, maybe they won't, but they got to try something because you cannot have a repeat of last year in 2021.
1: All right. What's, what's something that interested you that that came up in conversation?
0: I thought it was interesting on Tuesday. I, I just thought it was interesting that when Tony Alford was asked about Master Teague, you know, he, he mentioned that, you know, Master is the incumbent starter, which I think we all expect, but then He immediately went to Mayan Williams as the next guy that, you know, I'm really excited to see him. He flashed last year because I think a lot of times these coaches, they kind of tend to go in, you know, seniority order when they talk about these guys and, you know, Marcus Crowley and steel chambers, if we're talking seniority, they'd be the next guys up. But again, reading between the lines because it's all we're able to do here, you get, you definitely get the vibe that, you know, Mayan's a guy. Who, who made a move? You know, if I was betting right now between those three guys, who's going to see the most playing time in 2021? I'd I'd fairly confidently bet on Mayan Williams over Marcus Crowley and Steel Chambers right now. Now, the big question there, of course, is you know, the Travion Henderson effect, and you know, Evan Pryor as well, the freshman. You know, can those guys make a push in year one uh, to get? you know, in that rotation. And I think, you know, those guys, especially Henderson are going to get that opportunity, but the impression Mayan has made feels real to where everybody assumes master's going to have some role because he's been in the rotation for two years. And I think that's a safe bet. And I think everybody looks at Travion and thinks, you know, he's so talented, you know, he's going to make a push uh, to get on the field right away. And I, you know, I don't, I don't disagree with that, but the vibes around Mayan are real to where just he, he just cannot be an after in this thing. Like I really do think there's a very real chance that Mayan plays a very significant role in Ohio state's offense this year. And I don't know exactly what that could look like between all of those guys, but I just don't not think he should be discounted in any way.
1: Uh, I completely agree. Like, I think, you know, it's so funny because we had maybe, maybe at this time a year ago, the conversation was all about, you know, they have nobody in the running back room. It's steel chambers and quite literally nobody else who was healthy at the time because master T had just gotten hurt. Um, I think, I think that, I think it's interesting too, that just the fact that they have so many options right now um, and the fact that Mayan Williams, the guy who we all overlooked and like everybody did, I did, I think, I think basically everybody did is right there with them. I think that's a credit to, to, maybe like, I think that, I think some people will look at that as a credit to Tony Alford. And I think that, that, that he deserves credit for closing on him. I think it's a real credit to mine Williams because, you know, Zach Carpenter, our recruiting writer had written the story about how he completely transformed his body. Like that's, that's real. That's legit. That's what he did before he came to Ohio state. And he deserves all the props in the world for that. Um, I think that, I think it's going to be hard, right. And it's going to be tough for him to, to hold on to this. Like, I think the one thing coming out of this is whoever's gonna win this job, you have to feel pretty confident about because Tony Alford said it and I completely believe him. Like the room's in a great place right now.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's a total 180 from last year. I mean, if this like literally at this time last year, you know, especially before Trey Sermon committed, I mean, you were really wondering, like, cause we didn't know, like we didn't know if Master Teague was gonna even be able to play last year. Like you know, I mean, there was a very real possibility that like steel chambers was going to be a start and running back. And we had no idea like what he was going to be able to do. So absolutely in a much better place this year, I think there's reason for optimism about that rum. It's just who's going to actually be the guy getting the most carries. We'll see. The other thing, you know, if we're going to talk about Tuesday's
1: interviews, I wrote about it a little bit. It's I don't actually know if this matters at all, but it's just fun to listen to the way that Trevion Henderson talks. Because Travion Henderson talks like a guy who knows his skill set, knows what he can do, and he's just going to show you. Which is like, you know, if you're talking about a five star guy who came in as the number one running back recruit in his country, in, in the country, like I think that that's that's a promising sign. He didn't really want to talk about necessarily all the hype and all that. You know what he said is he wants to go get hit on when the pads come on on Wednesday for the for the first padded practice um, of, of, of spring camp and he said like he said that uh, that's when that's when the real ones show themselves if you know it's typically what someone who's a real one
0: (laughs) says Dan (laughs) yeah I mean JK was kind of the same way
1: yeah he was he was I you know there it's I'll be interested to see how the conversation follows them because that was the thing about JK it's like the longer that JK was in the program like those summer months and then you get into the preseason it's like the hype just the hype train just followed him and that was not media driven that was all coaches and players driven because they couldn't stop talking about him and like maybe that happens with Travion. it hasn't happened quite yet but also you know I think Ryan Day is a little bit different than Urban Meyer in that way where Urban Meyer has no problem walking out there and saying yeah like this guy's this guy's killing it whereas I think you know Ryan Day is probably a little bit more tactful and, and that kind of stuff. So uh you know but but I do think you know Travion is entering
0: entering the spring with the with the right mindset that you'd want from him yeah that's what I think will be interesting as we proceed through the spring I mean especially the longer we go without actually seeing anything is we are we're gonna have to kind of try to decipher based on what we're hearing about who's making an impression and one guy who certainly seems to be doing that right now is Zach Harrison just listening uh, to, to Ryan day last week, he said, you know, he, he, it was, it was actually unprompted. Like I think he was asked something along the lines of, you know, if anybody was standing out in winter workouts, but he didn't have to, you know, because a lot of times he just answers those questions with kind of a vague, oh, you know, everybody's standing out. It's too early, but he, he went out there and he said, Zach Harrison was a guy that stood out to him that did really well in winter workouts. And then, I asked him later about, about who were the guys who were really stepping up as leaders. And again, Zach Harrison's name came up. So I want to do this. I want to, I want to do a little buy or sell here with a few different topics of kind of what we've heard here in this first week and whether we're buying or selling them. And I want to start right there because the, the hype train for Zach, Zach Harrison, it's already left the station again. it left the station last year, and he in his season definitely didn't quite live up to the hype last year. Colin, are you buying or selling this round of Zach Harrison hype?
1: Well, you know, I certainly hope that it turns out well for Zach Harrison, because if not, then we'd enter, like, the fifth straight offseason of talking about Zach Harrison hype. Um, but, yeah, I'm buying it. I'm buying it because I think that, you know, it does feel like everybody thinks he's turning a corner. He thinks he's turned a corner. Ryan Day thinks he's turned a corner. His teammates think he's turned a corner. It's like, who am I to say that that's not true? Um, and, and he physically looks like, I mean, uh, name something freak. Uh, I don't, I don't know, whatever. He looks like he looks everything about what do you, what you'd want a defensive end to look like. And then the roster came out, Dan, you see what he was listed at. I did not. He was listed at 268 pounds. Oh, wow. And He's incredibly fast, too. There are the stories about him chasing down running backs that were like that was during his freshman year. Those were some of the stories that you'd hear about. Um, And now you have 268 pounds Zach Harrison out there doing things like, I don't know, like he seems to be in a He seems to be in a good spot right now. And I think also like, you know, he he's not a big talker, but like one of the things he mentioned that I think was important is it seemed like he wanted to add flexibility and the ability to get around the edge. And I think that that's really, really important because the things that he does really well, a lot of them are like the straight line type of stuff and and that ability to add some flexibility to his game. You know, I do think that that's one of those things that can take him to the next level.
0: Yeah, I'm buying it too. Now I want to buy it with the qualifier, but I'm not saying I think he's going to be chase young this year because that's, that's a lot. Uh, to say because chase young was the national defensive player of the year. I'm not gonna go quite that far in terms of buying the hype, but I do f- I i do think that the hype is real. I think they really do believe that he's going to make a big jump this year. And I mean they need him to. They need him to because they need that premier pass rusher. And I still think he is absolutely the number one candidate to be that. And I also don't think he was bad by any stretch last year. Like I think that's the one thing. Like I think you know, even like when I wrote my story about what he said, like there's a lot of comments that like he's done nothing like that. That's not accurate, that he's done nothing. He hasn't done a ton, but he hasn't done nothing. I mean, he, he he's just been okay, which it, the, the problem is when you're a five-star defensive end playing for Larry Johnson at Ohio state, okay. Isn't good enough because you're following in the footsteps of chase young and Nick Bosa. So that's the expectation He's got a long way to go to get to that expectation, but I'm buying it that we're going to see a big jump from Zach Harrison this year, but he's going to become that premier pass rusher that we've been expecting him to be. And certainly if he can become that, that would be a really good thing for Ohio state. You just, to
1: me, to me Zach Harrison's one of those guys where it's like, you just sort of, if you're going to take a risk on a guy who hasn't totally proven he's a star yet, take the risk on the athletic freak who, who seems to have turned a corner in the off season, who is buying in more than ever before to, to what Larry Johnson wants him to do. And is physically in the best spot of his career. Like, I, you know,
0: if I'm going to take a risk, I would find taking a risk on that guy. All right. Number two, there's been, you know, I think, you know, Kerry Combs has gotten the pass for last year of, they didn't have a full spring. They didn't have a full off season that prevented him from doing certain things he wanted to do for defense. And that probably played a big part in leading to the defensive struggles in 2020. Do you buy or sell that a full spring this year, a full off season this year will allow Kerry Combs to get Ohio state's defense back on track this year?
1: All right. I buy the fact that it gives them the ability to install different things and prepare them to attack offenses in different ways. I buy that they will have more versatility. Um, I sell the fact that this is the key to getting the defense back on track. I'm not selling the fact that, you know, I'm not saying that they won't get back on track because i certainly think that they can. Um, but after last year and, and after the fact that they lost all the linebackers that they had last season, who I think were, you know, really good. Um, the fact that you know they return guys and and seven banks and Josh Proctor, I think were good, fine, but but they weren't impact players. And then they have just a lot of uncertainty around them. Like to me, it's more so about about developing and coaching those guys on the roster maybe than it is you know installing a bunch of, of different defenses. And I think that figuring out how best to deploy these guys, like I mentioned earlier, I think that that's really important. But to me, it's all about the players on the roster, and it's putting them, and in, 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 in it's ensuring that they are uh, up to par in what Ohio State needs back there, and specifically, like, you know, they talk about BIA, Best in America. They weren't even remotely close to that title last year. You got to get, you, you have to make significant advances in that, and to me, that's a lot of that's player-driven, and that's player development, uh, maybe more so than scheme, which I also think is important, but. Um, I don't want to go overboard and say that because they have this time, they're they're definitely going to get this defense back on track.
0: Yeah. I wish I disagreed a few more, but I really don't. I mean, I think I'm pretty much right there with you that, you know, I do think, uh, you know, there's going to be some schematic changes. I'm not, I would say I, I'm if, if the question was, are we going to see a completely different scheme this year, Then I would, I would sell hard because I, I don't think that's going to be the case. I still think, this defense is going to look largely the same from what we've seen the past Because couple. they said
1: that. They, right. they, they just said that, essentially.
0: And I mean, you know, and the other thing, and like, this is one I, I saw from, you know, Ohio State. I don't think Ohio State fans like hearing this, but like this defense, they're going to play a lot of press man, whether it works or not. Uh, you know, I think we're going to continue to see it whether it works or not, because it's pretty clear. That's what Kerry Combs believes. And, and you know, and I think that's, You know, one of the things that people are a little skeptical on right now is like, okay, like, can these guys actually play this this press man scheme that he really wants them to play? And, you know, he he believes they can. Do I believe they can? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I think you're counting on a lot of improvement from from defensive backs who who were very inconsistent last year. So we'll see. I mean, this spring is definitely an important time. Uh, no doubt about it, to improve. But, you know, I agree with you, Colin. And I think ultimately the whole key is going to be, you know, can this personnel get to where they need it to be? Can it get to be that best in America level personnel? And I just don't know about that yet.
1: And to me, if you're going to have great press man, it's a lot more about the guys who are out there pressing the men than it is about the guy who's on the sidelines saying press man.
0: I, I agree with that. All right. Buy or sell. Will the bullet actually exist in 2021?
1: All right. I'm buying this sucker. It's going to exist. I have no idea if anyone's ever going to say the bullet again within Ohio State. I have no idea if internally they've even said the word bullet in years. Maybe that's just some word that we say because bullet sounds more fun than than safety or second safety or strong safety or whatever, whatever we want to call it. Uh, but I think the bullet's going to exist. I have no idea what the bullet even means. To me, it's more of a theory than an actual position. I don't care. The bullet's existing. I, I, I really do think it's going to exist because they have way too many guys uh, on the back end for the bullet not to exist. And I can't believe I'm saying this because
0: I was leader of the pack a couple of years ago that the bullet, the bullet did not exist. Yeah, I like- the voice on my shoulder is telling me sell, 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 because we we hyped this bullet position up so much a couple of years ago. And it really wasn't a thing, but I agree with you. I'm buying that there's going to be a bullet. I, I also agree. I don't know if they're actually going to call it the bullet. I think that I don't, I don't know if that really is a thing that they, they've talked about as much as we've talked about it, but I do think it's going to exist. And I think, the reason why it's going to exist is because they don't have the same personnel at linebacker that they have for the past couple of years. And I don't, I don't know if they're going to have a guy in that Sam linebacker role that basically just did away with a bullet that can, can play all the different responsibilities they'd want there that they, they had the past couple of years. And then, like you said, I think, you know, whether it's a Craig young playing in a situational role, who's apparently been playing some linebacker and some safety, or whether it's a court Williams or a Ronnie Hickman, you know, somebody who's a bigger safety that can play in the box. I don't know exactly what this is going to look like, but I do think one way or another, there's going to be a hybrid linebacker slash safety kind of role that sees more playing time this year been in the past two years and I promised myself I wouldn't buy into this again so if if, if it doesn't happen this year I'm selling it for good but I'm gonna buy it this year that if if this is actually going to exist
1: Greg Madison had to uh to leave for the bullet to
0: to survive all right one last one Ryan Day suggested again last week will Ohio State put two running backs on the field at once
1: i mean you just threw this up there just it's like to me this is like when you go you know when you're young and you like i don't know when you're like 11 12 and you're just in the batting cage and you have no one to throw to you so you just like throw up a pitch to yourself and you just hit it that to me is what you're doing yeah of uh, because you, you, know know doing. you know the end you know the answer is the answer is a fact
0: like yeah of course you're not gonna play two running bets at once say that
1: every single off season.
0: i'm selling hard i'm selling hard i I I think I I said to you that when he said that, my BS meter went to a 10 because it's not happening. They say this every single year. I remember J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber that they said they're going to play two running backs at once. It's not going to happen. You know why it's not going to happen? Because Ohio State has like 12 receivers, but it's got to get on the field. So there's no reason for Ohio State to be introducing a a two running back package this year. I'd be shocked if it happens.
1: Well, oh, it's, you'd be shocked because it's 0% chance of it happening. Also, um, you know, and you know, maybe, maybe they split Evan Pryor wide and technically it's two running backs, but it's not going to be two guys in the back.
0: Yeah. I'm talking two running backs into backfield next to CJ Stratt or Kyle McCord or Jack Miller. That's, that's, that's what I'm talking about. I, I don't see that happening.
1: Yeah. We should have counted all of the, the different, uh, Like there should we should have had a bingo board um, prepared because we already got Kevin Wilson talking about maybe they're going to throw Jeremy Record more like that was that might have been the free the free space to be quite (laughs) honest Um, but we also got a new one I like this one this one's different because usually you can't say this uh, because. We're actually in practice, but I respect uh, Cleveland.com's Nathan Baird for asking who's who's on the first team defense and offense, and Ryan Day's answer being, uh, well, it doesn't really matter because right now we're just rotating guys, which like, listen, it's technically true, you are rotating guys but the starting defense is the defense that takes the field first in the spring. And we all know that because we've all seen practices and maybe, maybe the players, I don't know if they think that the player, I don't even know. I think it's honestly, it's, it's largely about the parents um, and not getting a bunch of calls from angry parents who are not pleased that their child is fourth on the depth chart, Um, which, Hey, I understand. And he has no, he, he, he has no real incentive to give us a full depth chart but that was a new one to add to the list of like obviously not true things that he's going to that, that a coach is going to say um, and we don't have to actually write about or mention because obviously it's not true.
0: Yeah we're rolling guys is a big phrase that they like. yes they do that, that's a, that's a classic one that'll never go away. all right're we're, we're running out of time here but I want I want to have one parting thought here. Real thought with it. And if you got one, you can jump in there too, but parting thought, and this is not directed toward our listeners because I don't think any of our listeners would do this, but my parting thought for this week's show is if you're, I don't care how angry you are about a game, please never send messages to an athlete like those, which EJ Liddell received after Ohio state's, lost to oral Roberts on Friday. And I mean, first of all, quite frankly, I have no idea why anybody is sending that to EJ Liddell because Ohio state might've lost by double digits in that game. If it wasn't for EJ Liddell, EJ Liddell was the best player in that game against oral Roberts. He was, I would say Ohio state's best player all season. You could make an argument for Dwayne Washington, but I think at least in terms of consistency, I would say EJ Liddell, was Ohio State's best player all season. So he's the last person in my mind that Ohio State fans should have any gripe with. And I don't even know if the people who sent those messages were Ohio State fans. So I I don't mean it as a greater commentary on the Ohio State fan base. I just mean it in general because I think we know that this happens a lot. And, I mean, quite honestly, I was not surprised when I saw those messages because – I know it happens. I know it happens way more than we know about. You know, I know, I think Kofi Coburn shared some messages that he received. I know there were some other instances as well of players receiving similar messages that they shared on, on social media. But just please, again, I don't think it's any of you all, but if this message can reach anybody out there, don't say horrible things like that to athletes after a loss because understand as much as you've a fan might be upset about the outcome of a game those guys who have worked so hard to get there for that game they are hurt by it more than anybody else and you know you know like I saw some of the comments you know like after the loss to Oral Roberts about you know get guys on the team who actually want to win and stuff like that I promise you they wanted to win. They, they, they didn't win. They, they didn't win. They didn't play well. And it's fair to be critical of that. It's fair to expect more from the team than what you saw on Friday. But to attack their character or even worse, to say the kind of things that, that certain people decide to say to these athletes you know, death threats and just horrible things that nobody should ever be getting in their DMS on social media. Just don't do that. Please don't do that because it, it, as, if you're a fan, you, you, you should be reaching out to these guys and, and showing them support after a tough loss like that. Cause I promise you, they were all really hurting after that game and if they needed anything from social media they they need support and fortunately i i was the one thing i was encouraged by was that after he put those messages out there people were overwhelmingly supportive of ej and i saw a lot of positive messages directed towards him and i know he was very appreciative of that so that much was encouraging and it's also encouraging to know that like Most people are still shocked by this because this should not be happening. And I think the vast majority of people out there know that it is just ridiculous to, to say anything like that to anybody, but just remember these guys are humans. They're not always going to play a perfect game. And if they lose, they weren't trying to lose. It's not because they didn't want to win. It's because they're humans. They're not perfect. Sometimes things don't go as well be disappointed about it, be upset about it, but be reasonable about reasonable about it. You know, I think the, the, the the thing with the EJ thing is
1: like, those are horrifying to actually read. Um, also like my shock level was right about zero because I think that, you know, I think that given the reception, a lot of people probably don't realize that this is pretty common but to treat this like an, like an isolated incident would just be wrong. Um, I don't know if these specific people are, are messaging a bunch of other athletes, but I, but I know that a bunch of other athletes are, are getting these kinds of messages. And that's, that's, to be quite honest, it's commonplace. I think the reason why EJ's um, be, went so viral, I guess is the right word um, is because he's EJ. And by that, I mean, is like EJ is just, a nice guy who, when he asks, what did I do to deserve this? I'm human. Like that's what he would say. Like, those are his words. Like he's, he's somebody who I think if, if you were to ask Ohio state's coaches before EJ Liddell even came to campus, like, like they loved EJ Liddell. They loved EJ Liddell and they've always loved EJ Liddell because EJ Liddell is just like, he's the kind of guy who you want your program to be about. And, and I think the thing that about this conversation also, that's important to note is that, you know that ultimately also shouldn't matter and like how he played shouldn't matter uh because at the end of the day like you shouldn't have sent Dwayne Washington those messages even if Dwayne Washington missed shots and I'm sure like he didn't tweet anything I'm sure he got messages like that as well because that's just what that's just what it is and I you know I think it's I think it's good for EJ to actually show people that, that this is what sort of happens behind the scenes sometimes and it sucks it's reality uh you know, given the way social media is, it's just it's hard to know how to change that. But, um, you know, having people aware that that happens, I think, is, is important. And, uh, you know,
0: I hope that I hope that Ohio State Police Department is, is able to figure out who's behind those. And the answer to his question, what did he do to deserve it, is absolutely nothing. He did absolutely nothing to deserve that. And nobody should ever get messages like that because of how they performed in a sports game. Yeah. Or basically literally anything else, but (laughs) yeah, basically. (laughs) Yeah. yeah.
1: All right. Glad we ended this podcast on a high note.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to end it on a sour note, but I did feel that it was important to address that situation uh, from this past week uh, as it relates to Ohio state sports and, you know, hope that that's something that uh, anybody who needs to hear that message, which I really don't think is any of you, but I hope anybody that does need to hear that message We'll take that to heart. Thank you so much for listening in to this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays, and we'll talk to you again next week.